welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today, we're going to stay a bit local, but do remember that this isn't local in respect to how it's covered. This is something that occurs county after county, city after city, uh, uh, municipality after municipality. Uh, today, I'm honored to have Shelby Stewart. Shelby Stewart is a former HPD officer, sergeant to be exact, as well as Jeff Reese, who is a former uh, HPD officer as well, leader. Harris County. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Harris County. You know, I, I kind of mix these things up. You guys, as far as I'm concerned, you guys are all cops, man. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, let's get busy. Anyhow, look, um, the, the criminal justice system is an issue for many people. And it has a whole lot of different ramifications. And Shelby spoke about something that really got to me that I said, we need to put it out there so that people will make sure that they force their own uh, cops, their own justice system to work in their communities. Shelby, tell us a little bit about you and then tell us a little bit about the issue that we were really concerned about when it came to somebody who got killed. I spent... 28 years on the Houston Police Department. But during that time, I saw so much racism in the department that I I began to be a civil rights activist. And that's how I got involved in civil rights by having to deal with the racism within the Houston Police Department on all levels. And so since I retired in 2009, uh, I've, I've been involved in civil rights actions in Houston and outside of Houston and specifically dealing with police reform, changing policies, getting the community involved in changing the police departments that serve them. Let me stop you a second, Shelby, because I have a question that I want to get sort of in my mind. How many years did you serve? 28 years. And within that 28 years, uh, were you able to make any changes internally or is the structure of the police department is that if you bug the system while you're on the inside, it presents a problem for your future? There, well, you're going to have to bug the system because the system is racist at its heart and the way it's structured. And if you don't push the system then the system won't change. Now, can you push the system from the inside? If you, if, you, if you take the chance to push it from the inside, you have to be skillful. You have to understand your job. You have to understand how to protect yourself. And you have to have a lot of courage. Now, you've been in, uh, you said you did 28 years. Uh, that probably means that you've been to several uh, convention conferences where you've been able to uh, mix yourself up with other police officers and other department. Is this pretty much a uh, standard modus operandi for uh, police departments all over the country? Believe it or not, most police departments around the nation have the central tenet that they will hide misconduct by officers and illegal activities. And you may ask why they, why they do that. First of all, 
the purpose of the Internal Affairs Division is to mitigate damages against the city. So if you don't see misconduct on videotapes and you don't see proof of illegalities, then the department is not going to deal with them as to what they were. They're going to slap somebody on the wrist and they'll keep their job. But if you see a video of the misconduct, it forces them to take the proper action. That's why videotapes are so important. Now that gives us a perfect segue into the particular incident we, we are really here to talk about with respect to what you saw in a particular community. Let's talk about that. In 2018 in South Union, which is in the southeast part of Houston, a young man was killed at Zolly Scales Park. He was shot by another man. And so the Houston Police Homicide Division went out there and they did an investigation. Come to find out through the mother of the young man that was killed that a female that was involved in the shooting, the police, the police officer that was investigating it did not put a hold on her. And what a hold means is that he has enough evidence to, to find out if this person is, is really strongly involved in this case. And it gives him a 24-hour time in order to ask more questions and garner more evidence. Well, that wasn't done. And so the mother of the young man that was killed messaged the officer and said, well, the young lady fired the gun at the other guy. It wasn't my son. Did y'all check for gunshot residue on her hands? And the investigator sent back a message saying, well, that wouldn't have made any difference. It just would have meant that she was defending herself. The problem is, is that at that time, he didn't even know she had shot a gun. He didn't know what she had done. And so it would have been more prudent to get her to the homicide division to to investigate and and uh, interview her some more to find out exactly what happened. That wasn't done. I think later on you found out that if they had done a real investigation, that uh, there were well, you tell the story. There are a lot of cameras all over the place that could have been uh, right queried. So after the mother wasn't getting satisfaction from the police department. She hired me. I'm a, I'm a private investigator also. And so I went into the neighborhoods, got on the streets, talked to people, looked around. First thing I did was, because the investigator told us, she asked him, she said, do y'all have any video of what, of what happened that day? She said, the investigator told her, there, wasn't any, there weren't any video cameras. So the first thing I did was I went out there and I checked the area for video cameras. Well, right in the area where the basketball court was, you had a huge business there that had video cameras that covered the whole area. So I went to the business, I spoke to the owner, and I got in touch with the guy 
it was over the camera system. I saw the camera system and I asked him about it. Well, that was eight or nine months before, which meant that because the homicide investigator didn't go check with them the next day, the video was lost just by missing a simple step that should be taken in every in every police call, in every crime. Because the strongest evidence that you're going to have most of the time is video evidence. It's not going to change uh, because somebody's memory, memory gets bad. It's not going to change over time unless it's altered. So every time an officer goes to a call, no matter what it is, he should look around, see if there are cameras, talk to the owner of the place that has the cameras, and see if they can acquire the video footage. This was not done. And because it was not, because it was not done, you have a mother who lost a son who, who hasn't gotten justice because the police department didn't take the necessary steps that they should have in the black community. And I would say this, that had this been in River Oaks or even a middle white class neighborhood, these mistakes would not have been made. I do not believe. So are they then mistakes? Well, I think they are mistakes. And and the reason I think they are mistakes is because it's something obvious that you should do and you don't do it and someone comes behind you and the information is let out that that you didn't take the simple step to see if there was video footage then it makes you look incompetent as a police officer or an investigator nobody wants that pinned on pinned on them so i don't I don't I don't think it was intentional, but it was it was a it's a problem. Let me bring Jeff into the conversation here because today we got a verdict, Jeff, for um Kim Potter who uh who shot uh Dante Wright. And um it's kind of interesting because uh one of the things that I said on my program earlier today is that um you know there, there is a there is a sometime conscious, but there's also an unconscious bias that some have when it comes to dealing with people of color. Uh, you know, uh, I honestly think Kim Potter made a mistake with her. I honestly think she made a mistake, but I think she only made, she would only have made that mistake with a person of color. In, in your experiences uh, as, as a cop, have you seen this sort of stuff happen more so on one side than the other? Yes, definitely. And I know Shelby has too. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors that, that go into play. Again, why was he stopped? Because he had an air freshener hanging from his back uh, mirror, you know, or he failed to signal. Let me ask you, you, know, you have to ask yourself, what would change in the world if somebody drove around with an air freshener in his car? Or what would happen if somebody turned without a signal? People do this all the time. They don't get pulled over. The problem was all this was done to prevent him from driving off, right? That's what they alleged. And then she supposedly admitted in the first place she would never have pulled this guy over. If that's the case, 
Why the hell are you tasering the guy? If this is a situation you wouldn't have done yourself, you know, and this is a problem. A lot of people get into a situation they're not qualified to handle. And anybody that claims they mistook their, their taser, the handgun for the taser, that's a, that's a big problem. Right? No, but let, let, I want to, I want to go a little bit deeper, Jeff. Uh, and then we will, we'll take, take the other County issue. Um, my contention is that there's a certain kind of a bias and how do we train against that bias? In other words, that that person uh, with it, without consciously noting when it came to Dante, it was okay to alternate, you know, in other, in other words, she said, if I wasn't with the trainee, I likely would not have stopped the guy. Right. The next question is, if it were a white guy in that car driving and you are with the trainee who wanted to stop, would you have still stopped the guy? You get the point. Right. right. So, so the bias, my, my question to you is how do you have, or rather the question is how do you confront that bias? I mean, what, what uh, Shelby just pointed out is here it is a black kid gets murdered and the bias was against really doing the necessary work to find out who's guilty. Now we have the case of Dante, somebody who just had a minor violation, if any at all. Right. And the police went half cocked all out to solve that particular issue. How do you get rid of that bias? Well, it starts with training. It starts with the very foundation in law enforcement. And I, again, I know Shelby had a, a very similar experience, but different because I'm a Caucasian. It's a lot different for me. When they trained me, I don't know if you, we had three different districts and they told me, well, this is the district that's very wealthy and the sheriff lives over here. So you got to mind your P's and Q's. Now this other district is kind of middle income and you can pretty much do what you wanted, but you had to be careful. But then there was a poor district. And a poor district was open season. This is, you know, a time of Rodney King. You could do anything you wanted to somebody because they didn't have the resources to fight you back, you know. Uh, in other words, this, this, this thin blue line protected you from any kind of malfeasance that you did, whether it's racist, which, of course, it is, or anything else. And even today, it's that same perception that the police, whatever the police do is right, Whatever you have is wrong. If, you, if you're involved with the police, it's your fault. You did something wrong to instigate this, okay? And then when it's a person of color, that's where the problems start. Just what you're bringing up. How is this person going to be handled? You're going to handle everybody the same, or are you going to handle different people differently? And, and that's the question. It begins in training. It begins in the whole aspect of law enforcement, the driving force behind it, and the rationale that we're this one big blue family and whatever we do, we're okay. All right. And a lot of times it was made of predominantly Caucasian people. And even some of the minorities treat the other minorities worse than, than that. And, and part of that's in the systemic aspect of police work. Shelby. I mean, that's, that's an interesting topic. And I want to throw that right back at, um, at Shelby, because I've actually seen that in action. Uh, Shelby, what, what, um, what Jeff just said is, is sort of an interesting dynamic, right? I think that if you see something like that, it has to do with buying into racism yes. within the department as it deals with minorities. Um, 
I think that I think that the, the majority of the racism, though, it cut. I don't believe. Okay. No, training, no. This is, hey, let me just say something, Shelby. This is politics done right. On politics done right, you don't bite your tongue. You okay. say it. I don't think that I don't I don't know the training necessarily by itself helps because you're asking people that come from different walks of life that may not have any experience with someone of another race other than the values that have been inculcated into them through their parents, their cousins, their friends, and people that they trust. And if they have inculcated a biased view by people that they trust, Mm -hmm. then this is what they believe. And so how how can you be ethically sound because police officers make the most important decisions every day that can change the course of your life and death. How can you be a police officer if you can't be fair? And if you take your biases to every call that you go to, because this is what you believe, then you have no business being a police officer because there's no way that you can be fair. You well, have to be fair. I'm going to tell both you and um, Jeff this then, because that, that is one of the reasons I enjoy speaking to ex-officers like yourselves, because, I mean, um, uh, you have some cred in the departments, and I hope that you use your creds to, to make that change. Because what you said, what you just said, uh, Shelby, is magic. Unfortunately, a lot more. And by the way, I, I do agree that most officers are not the ones that take advantage of people. But at the same time, I think they do take advantage of people with their silence. In other words, if, they, if they're staying behind that thin blue line, that, that is an issue that I think needs to be mitigated. And guys like both of you can do that. Now, because of time, we have to segue into one other portion of this discussion with a little incident, not a little, a, part, a big incident that happened in the courthouse in uh, Harris County, or not the courthouse, Jalen Harris, Harris County. Why don't you recount that story and tell us what, what you think is the genesis of that, Jeff? Oh, that's you talking about the rape of a six-year-old yes. sergeant in the twelve hundred uh, jail. No, actually, actually, uh, that one would probably take another time. We're talking about the the the, the kid that got arrested and, and I think uh, got hurt in the prison. Uh, the nineteen-year-old, yeah, nineteen-year-old Fred Harris. Yes, that's who he's talking about. Challenged, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Uh, he was a mentally challenged again person of color. He had a, a IQ of about sixty. He weighed about 98 pounds. He'd never had a fight in his life. And somebody, uh, again, decided to arrest him for threatening another person with a knife. And he went into jail. The mother went to the jail and talked to the uh, lieutenant or whoever was in charge at the time and explained everything to him. And they assured her he would be segregated from the population, but that was not the case. And he was murdered by a man, 240 pounds, another inmate who had a history of violence and also had a shank. And he was kicked and stomped and stabbed to death. And um, so 
Yeah, that that's a terrible thing. His name was Fred Harris, a 19-year-old uh, youth. He looked like maybe he was 14. And and the problem that, you know, it, it's happened before. This was, I was not surprised, unfortunately. No, is this, is, is this one of those bias issues that you talk about all the times? The arrest was definitely. Yeah, and, and I think this is the thing. If he had been uh, of, of wealth or whiteness, he would not have been in jail. Uh, apparently, the guy got, he got no closer than 12 feet to 20 feet. So how is this person threatened by a 98-pound youth with a knife? Right. So there are other I'm sure there's other stories, but the fact that we believe and we think we can solve all our problems by arresting somebody. That's you now, Chevy, that's what we they, we were taught this. When you came in contact with somebody you had to, that violated the law, you were duty bound to arrest them. All right. And if somebody didn't do what you told them to do, you put your hands on them and made them do it. And if that came once you put your hands on someone, they have to go to jail, you know. Uh, Shelby, maybe you can comment. How is HPD on that, on that situation? Well, uh, I supervised in the jail for about 10 years. And that if the mother of an inmate comes and gives you information that he has some psychological issues, then at that point, you've been told uh and at that point, there are certain things that that supervisor needs to do in order to keep the young man safe. And if he has not taken those actions, then that supervisor is responsible. And if he didn't, if he didn't do what was necessary to keep the guy, guy safe and notify the supervisor of the next shift or his superior of what was going on, then that supervisor may get fired. He's going to be most responsible because he didn't take the proper action based on what the kid's mother told him. That is sad. But anyhow, we, we are getting close to the end. I, I think I think I've accomplished what I've Wanted here, so let me let me ask each of you to do something that I always do. Jeff been with me before, so he knows what I'm going to say. Uh, tell me something that I should have asked you that I didn't. That gives that gives you shall be a chance to think about it. Uh, tell me something that I uh, that I should have asked you that I didn't, Jeff. Well, um, what Shelby said is, is very sobering, and and my experience is it's very true. But the department when I was there was more concerned about protecting itself than protecting those people at risk. And, and going back to what Shelby started, amazingly, with the internal affairs, is exactly right. Um, it's all about protecting the department, not protecting the, the people. So that was the question you should have asked me, okay? <laughs> I, well, you know, you answered it. Shelby. I think that why, why, is, why it's important that the public should know how the department handles itself in different parts of the city because black and Hispanic people pay the same taxes that they pay in River Oaks, Bunker Hill, and Memorial. And they should receive the same police service with with the same care and treat those people with dignity and respect. Former former officer with the Harris County and 
former HPD officer. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. We'll keep this series going because there's a hell of a lot more we want to talk about with both you, Jeff, as well as you, Shelby. Thank you so kindly for all the work that you guys do in the community. Thank you, guys. Thank you, sir. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.